I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Today, you'll meet Tony Dungy and his wife, Lauren. Tony achieved success in the National Football League as a player and a coach and was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. His ongoing role with NBC as an analyst on NBC's Football Night in America clearly showcases his impressive career. Tony played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the San Francisco 49ers and was an award-winning coach for both the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts, where he guided them to a Super Bowl victory in 2007. He is the author of several books, including bestsellers Quiet Strength, Uncommon, and The Mentor Leader. But it's the work he and his wife Lauren do outside of football that is truly his heart and soul. They are foster parents, have seven adopted children, and have written a book entitled, We Chose You. Get ready for an upbeat and heartwarming life story as we rewind to the beginning and say it forward with Lauren and Tony Dungy. Thank you both so much for coming. We're really excited to have you. Super excited. Thank you for having us. That's fantastic. You wrote a book. Which made me cry, called <laughs> We Choose You. Is this your first book? This is not our no first children's way. book. We have written 12 other children's books, and the books that we write, the themes are uh, universal themes that we think all people can relate to, all children can relate to, and we use our own children. We have eight children at home, and we use their stories, their experiences in the story. And it makes it real, relatable, and our kids love to see themselves in the story. <laughs> and the art so is so charming. Yeah, and I wish we so could charming. take credit for the artwork, but we can't. But we hear that over and over. Yeah, yeah. how beautiful. wonderful it is! It's so but, colorful. But your, and your work has inspired that tender, beautiful thank you. artwork. Yeah. But well, we and tell children that you have a good story, but you need the artwork to make the story yeah. come alive and jump off the pages. Yeah. And we think the artwork does that. It's beautiful, and the story is beautiful. Thank so you. Tony has come to uh, enormous fame all over the world. I'm going to guess because I'm not a huge knowledgeable person about football but since everybody yes. I mentioned you to said oh my god I'm going to go with you're hugely famous in the sport and you achieved the success in the National Football League as a player and as a coach and you were inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame now I've heard you on the NBC mm-hmm. as an analyst that's an analyst role I think yes, right for NBC, um, in yeah. Football Night in America which is uh, apparently played widely and it's in the background in everybody's home who's a football junkie Sunday night which is pretty yes. much everybody yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah. you played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the San Francisco 49ers and then became an award-winning coach for both the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts where you guided them to and I remember this clearly a Super Bowl victory in 2007. Yes. So congratulations on your success. Well, thank you. It's been a fun run and uh, definitely blessed um, in a lot of ways. I think the thing that comes forward for me is how blessed you both know you are because of your marriage. And you've written about this. Could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about how you met? Well, we've been married 36 years. Congrats. And we celebrate that. 
we were introduced to each other by our my pastor church and he played matchmaker and decided that Tony came to speak at the church and he thought he had someone in the church that would be a perfect match for him. And I think I was skeptical. Tony said he definitely was skeptical and <laughs> really wasn't interested, but just to satisfy the pastor. No, the pastor was, was persistent. He was yeah, persistent, <laughs> but you were skeptical. Yeah. You said, what does she look like? I don't know if I'm up for this. And I had heard got wind that he was a football player, now coach. That didn't excite me. That's interesting. That's an interesting angle, It it is interesting, but I'm being transparent and truthful. I have three brothers. They played football, and they were the super jocks of the household, and they reminded us on a daily basis how great they were. So (laughs) when I heard that this Tony Dungy was a football player, a jock, I was like, oh, my goodness. And hailing from Pittsburgh, you probably don't know, but – the steel curtain and mm-hmm. the prestige that comes along. I mean, even the water boy is successful and uh, a celebrity there. So when <laughs> I heard about Tony, it was just like, well, I'll just meet him and chalk it up as a friend and move on. But when I met him, I was pleasantly surprised. And as I said earlier, 36 years later, we wow. are still married. Did you know right away? We did, I think. Um, again, as Lauren said, I was not, you know, looking for that. And this pastor said, no, you really have to meet this girl. And he kept calling me, so I'm sure you're going to like her. And uh, we did. We ended up meeting uh, right around the 1st of July, and we got engaged in November and got married Mm -hmm. in June. Wow. Rebecca and her husband sort of did the same thing. Yeah, we've been married for 42 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. We got Mm -hmm. married just before I turned 21, so we were together about a year. Mm -hmm. And we got married, and here we are all those many years Mm -hmm. later. And I don't know about you, but I know that it's not a straight, easy line to be married. No, it's not. um, Marriage is tough. Marriage is tough. Well, you wrote The Uncommon Marriage, right? That's we the did. title of yes. the book. Um, for our audience, in case they're not familiar with the book, can you share maybe the three most important takeaways? We identified three things that you have to have in a marriage, and, and that is definitely communication. Mm-hmm. If you aren't communicating and talking, not at each other, but to each other, and, and having that, that rapport and that understanding that you can be open and honest and share what's on your heart with each other. If you can't do that, then you're going to have some challenges. So we we learned early on that it was important to talk and communicate with each other. And we shared that in our story. And we gave instances where we failed at it because we were so busy and we didn't take time to listen and hear mm. each other's voices. Yeah, so that I mean, was one of the things you talked about in an interview that I saw was how important it is to really check in and make sure, even if you've said it and you think you've communicated it, to make sure that it's come through in a way that is almost Absolutely. the other person's able to hear yes. it. I find that really an interesting kind of kind of finesse of that idea. How yes. does that how does that come for? Like, what do you remember as an example of, of learning <laughs> from that? I mean, without getting into you know. well, I could tell you from uh, the first time we actually did meet, and then you know we talked about what she liked to do, what I liked to do, and she said, "Oh, she loved to play tennis." So at the end of the day, I said, that's great. Give me your number. I'll call you, and maybe we can play tennis sometime. She, to this day, swears that I said, give me your number. Maybe I'll call you, and we'll play tennis sometime. <laughs> and that would, totally, be in line. Totally that would be in line with what a typical jock football <laughs> totally player would say. Thoughts. Maybe I'll call right. you. 
And so I thought, hmm, I don't know if I want to sit around and wait for that phone call. The tone was not right, so Tony. The, the tone was definitely not right, but... But you do. No, so what we, you say we and what it. is heard mm-hmm. is sometimes different mm-hmm. things. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that is yeah, true. That's the way but of the world. We got right? over it. Yeah. And we definitely realized early on it was important to have a Christ-centered marriage. Yeah. Right. And without having Christ in the center to direct us and guide us through the challenges, the good times, the bad times, our marriage would not survive. Mm-hmm. So we know that he is the reason mm-hmm. why we are still mm-hmm. together and celebrating 36 years Amazing. of I want to marriage. know how long it took you to call. <laughs> I called the next day. Oh, you did? I don't think or it was even quite that, that soon. That, that, I love sorry. this. I love this. But you didn't let too much grasp <laughs> her when you were I've moved past so yeah. this version yeah. and, you, yeah. and you were prepared for him to make the move, and then you went and played tennis. I think that's did you what happened. Him, did you let him win? <laughs> no, I'm no, very competitive. Very yes, super so competitive. Going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this idea of a power beyond yourselves being in in sort of collaboration yes. with you. I mean, I'm a parent, and I cannot tell you how many times I've asked for mercy in my parenting. And your parents of not just the eight children who are in your home right now, but another two children. You have ten children, right? How has that played out? That, That's that, a lot of that, kids to educate. <laughs> I don't even, I mean, and communicate through. Gee whiz. I mean, wow. We really have to celebrate their differences, understand that they have different personalities. I mean, our children are age 3 to 18, wow. so different levels. It's just the blood. ones in the house. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it's important that we recognize that they are different and not just group them all together and lump them all. And we're all going to go to church and we're all going to play tennis. Or we're all going to go swimming. Yeah. But we have to understand that they have different likes right. and dislikes. And that's something that has come over time, hearing from them and then acting on it. And we do try to find some things like swimming and biking that we can all do, do mm-hmm. together as a group. And there are times when the boys may do something and the girls may we go get our nails done and, right. and um, shop. But it's it's important that yeah. we well, it sounds hear like there's what they a lot, like. I'm, I'm assuming that there's a lot of athletics going on in your house. Oh yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. They've kind of grown up around it. They enjoy it. We enjoy it. We like to stay active. And you uh, both look super fit. So I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, she you just did a triathlon. I did. Oh, oh yes. my gosh! One this past weekend. What's your strongest of the three? Well, it's definitely not swimming, okay. but it's a toss-up between the biking and the running because I enjoy them both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been running for about six years and biking a little bit longer, and both require a lot of training and endurance. But probably, I'd say the biking, but I, I enjoy them. The swimming is it's gives me a workout. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm out there in the open water. I'm always to. impressed when people don't have swimming as their strongest suit. Right. And they, right. you go and do it anyway. And I think that that is a powerful lesson in well, and of itself. Yeah. And that's why they always have the swimming first. Right. So you don't conk out. <laughs> You're going to be on land in the water. Pass out. How old were you in your life when you knew that you were going to be an athlete? My dad um, started out playing ball with me when I was three or four years old, and I liked it a lot. I enjoyed all sports, kind of grew up with that. Um, my parents were both teachers, so the educational piece was emphasized, but I liked sports, and I didn't know I was going to be a professional athlete, but I, I knew I would be active and do things physically because I enjoyed it. Was football always your sport, or are you f- no. gifted in all sports? It's the or last sport sports, I learned how to play. My oh, dad wow. played baseball with me early on, and I, that was probably my best sport. I liked basketball. I played soccer and 
tennis, and, you know, I tried everything. And football was the last thing that I learned to play, the last organized team that I was involved in. And I really went to the University of Minnesota thinking I was going to be a basketball player, but I just ended up being better at football. And uh, that's just the way the Lord took it. That's hmm. amazing. Yeah. What and a competitive sport and a brutal sport. Did you play? I know that you, you are educated as an educator with advanced degrees. Did you play sports in school too? I mean, that competitive, obviously. I played sports, but I think I dabbled in a yeah. lot of different sports. And I enjoyed swimming and I enjoyed running, but um, I don't have any medals or yeah. trophies. And did you grow show. up in Sewickley? I did uh-huh. grow up in Sewickley. What are a pretty, with I am. Yeah. It's such a pretty place. It is so a lovely beautiful. Area. Yeah. I still have family that lives there. Yeah, it's for the, the yeah. audience if you don't know where Sewickley is it's basically filled it's about 14 miles north of pittsburgh yeah pittsburgh sorry pittsburgh it's pittsburgh yeah i had a Mm -hmm. friend who grew up in sewickley and i went to visit her in pittsburgh in the northern suburb yeah yeah yeah. very Very charming Mm -hmm. uh, bedroom community Mm -hmm. did you start your educational career in sewickley i did i attended high school there and then went to duquesne university Mm -hmm. which is in pittsburgh Mm -hmm. And I met Tony at the end of uh, my collegiate years, and then we started moving around and may have but made you were several moves. Teaching at your I did, school, yes, right? absolutely. Yeah, and we met. I she taught, was teaching. I taught actually at the school that I attended as a student, so it was kind of neat to oh, see that's cool. some of my friends' children that I had in the classroom. Oh, that's did the cool. pastor who introduced you marry you? He did. Oh, he definitely did. <laughs> yes, and he, he did. still goes around telling everyone the yeah. story of how he met. I love and he's, that He's story. got an English accent, so he's always bragging about the <laughs> well, Tony and Your two success story. Look yeah. at you all these well, years. He was there. right, though. He was very right. Is he is he alive? And he around? is. He yeah. is. He's actually locate, relocated to Florida. Awesome. So we've run into him in Florida a couple of times. So you guys basically met, fell in love, got married. Well, you must have been at the very beginning of your so career. The beginning of my coaching career. Yep. I had finished playing and was uh, coaching for the Steelers. And um, we met in 1981, got married in 1982. And for the next eight years, I was a coach in Pittsburgh. And then, as Lauren said, we started moving to Kansas City and then Minnesota. And finally, uh, I got the head coaching job in Tampa. So um, Lauren was a coach's wife and had to do for that, many years. be ready to move around and make new friends. Right. And- you know, it was really a, it was a great opportunity to use the platform that I had because of Tony to influence the wives and the girlfriends. And many of them were on their own for the first time and they needed direction. They needed guidance. So I challenged them to be not just the wife of or the girlfriend of, but what could they do in the community? So we started a lot of programs and one of them was going into the schools and reading to the kids and just encouraging them um, to develop a love for books and reading. And that program started, gosh, over, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, and we're yeah. st- Tony and I are doing it now. Oh, that's so and cool. And we, we go into Title I schools. And many of the kids just, you know, they're distracted with uh, electronics and games and toys and reading is just something that you do for punishment or if it's raining outside. Mm-hmm. And we, we come with books that we've written and we read to them, we encourage them, and then we gift them with a book as we leave. What a beautiful target to show them to, two authors coming in to read a book to them. So that, and that and, is and being, exciting for and them. And being real so that they can go, 
oh, maybe I could make up. Exactly. Right. right. And we yeah. do challenge them, too. We yeah. tell them, don't wait until you're an adult. Don't wait until you're old. You yeah. can do this now. We all have experiences that we can share. We can journal and give to other people to read and enjoy and to grow from. And so many of them do write, and then they'll send them to us. Oh, this that's is our story. Wonderful. It's really wonderful. So the opportunity to have as many children as you have... <laughs> We talk about that. the quote unquote she can't get past that. <laughs> well, I, I have four sons, and okay. I know how much havoc those four yes, sons caused. Yes. Look what you've done in your life with the children that you have. I mean, this is an amazing story. So I really like to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, you guys have between you have ten children. How did I that mean, happen? Seriously. Well, we had three children disease. when we moved to Tampa. I got the head coaching job down there. Our youngest son was eight years old. And one of my assistant coaches was looking to adopt a little boy. And Lauren and I had to be the character references and do a recommendation for him. And we ended up talking to the lady who ran the agency. And Lauren had always been interested in adopting, and it was something she wanted to do and talked about a lot. But then this lady was telling me as we were talking to her that they really were in desperate need of adoptive parents. And mm. it, that surprised me because you hear all the stories about, mm-hmm. oh, it, you know, you have to go overseas or it takes years. And she said, you know, we go around and we talk to women in crisis pregnancy situations. We urge them to go through with the pregnancy and we'll find a place for the children, the babies to go. And she said, we are, especially with African-American parents, we have a shortage. And that shocked me. Uh, and so as we started investigating and realizing there were kids that were in group homes and there were kids waiting. That's what kind of got me interested. I think that was Mm -hmm. the Lord's plan. Lauren Mm -hmm. had always been interested and always talked about it. And then we just saw this, as when I saw it as a need, and we had done a lot of work in Mm -hmm. in Tampa as, you know, pro-life spokesmen. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then to hear this situation where, okay, women are going through with pregnancies, but there's no one on the other end to receive those children. That, that actually kind of drove at me mm-hmm. a little bit. So but I you- saw adoption modeled in my family. My grandparents adopted as well as raised uh, biological children, and my parents adopted, and they did foster care for many years. So I knew that we were going to adopt. It's a special place yes. in your heart really to be, is. do that. That's really. it's just I'm overwhelmed by the generosity of spirit that you both have because that's a big responsibility. I mean, one kid, you know, you know, two kids, but you guys have so many. Kids. <laughs> but you know, when you see and you hear the story, it's it's hard to hard just to say move no. on and say, "Well, that's too bad," or "I hope it works out." Mm-hmm. You know, we felt that God had given us this platform and had also given us the resources and the opportunity to make a difference in someone else's life. And, mm-hmm. and so we gladly stepped up to the plate to right. do that. Right. And you've you've expanded it with, with this book, We Chose You. Right. And also in your other books where you've talked about your, your status as adoptive parents to encourage other people. Absolutely. Um, we Chose You is so important because children sometimes are very confused. They get teased by peers. They don't really know how to feel. Different children have different reactions, yes. I would think. How exactly did this particular book, how did the Lord call you? Because the Lord is obviously right, <laughs> right. in the middle of your lives. Mm-hmm. But like, what were the series of events that said, hey, this is this is the book we're going to write now? We always wanted to tell the story. And so we wanted a publishing company to get excited about our story. 
And Harvest House said, you know, yes, do this story. We stand behind you. We'll, we'll make it work. And it's a story that needs to be told because so many families are adopting, but they have questions. They need resources that aren't available. And we knew or we felt that we could tell a story through the eyes of a child. Calvin was our character that we used. And he's doing a project at school and he needed um, some information from right. his parents. And so when he went home, he asked and tell me again about the story. How did I come about? They told him about it, but children love to hear that love story mm-hmm. over and over mm-hmm. again. And so you heard it again, and it just reassured him. My parents loved me. I was planned. I was prayed for. God knew this many, many, many years ago, and I am in my forever home. And I'm not going anywhere. My parents love me. So we celebrate adoption. Yeah. We're excited about it. And we, for the parents who are you know, kind of on the fence or they're not sure how to approach it, we say, here's a story. Read it. Read it with your children and see how it's positive. There's nothing secretive about it. It's not negative in any way. Mm-hmm. And your child will come out feeling just that much yeah, more secure. And yeah, secure. and so many Absolutely. kids who are adopted, their first thought is, Somebody didn't want me, right. as opposed to, no, maybe somebody loved you enough. enough that they wanted something better for you that they couldn't provide. And then here's another family that loved you enough to take you in and choose you. And so trying to get the child to think of it not as who didn't want me, but who did want me. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Exactly. I used to tell my kids when they were little that the reason that they came to me was because I went up to heaven and I picked them <laughs> well, out with no, their babies. Yeah. And I said, the only thing I did wrong when I picked you out is I didn't get any light-eyed babies. <laughs> 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 so I was, I was uh, kidding, of course. But yeah. my husband, my, all my children have my husband's dark eyes, mm-hmm. and I always thought, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be nice to get one blue-eyed right? baby? Yeah. <laughs> the thing about, about this that I, I've talked to girlfriends, I have a girlfriend who adopted two young mm-hmm. girls from China when they were toddlers, basically. That's awesome. And we both said the same thing, which is you meet your baby, whether it's when the baby's born or when the baby is put in your arms mm-hmm. and you say, I love you and I would do anything for you. Yeah, it's and all the same. It's it all really the same is. love, it's right? Same. It's just all the same it's thing. It's an instant bond or instant connection. And the baby doesn't have to look like you. Or, <laughs> and yeah. I, I believe in time, the baby takes on uh, your characteristics yeah. and mm-hmm. your personality. And then we forget. That our children are adopted, yeah, because they're just like us. So you have are they? How, how old is the youngest? The youngest is three years old. She's oh, a toddler. I salute you. I salute you. She's not potty trained either, by the way. Ooh, baby! So. Did you get her when she was a baby? We did. Three years. All old. of our children. Jesus, are you brave? We love it. She'll yes. get there. She's, She'll get there. You got them. You have all of the Yeah, kids. we're kind of relaxed now yeah. after all these kids. It's like, so what if she's still wearing diapers my when she dad, goes to kindergarten? Yeah, my dad was a pediatrician. He used to say to people whose children potty trained late, they'll go to first grade or kindergarten, they'll look around, and they'll potty train mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. And and it, it is very much. We're hoping much, that's what happens yeah. with Jayla. Tell, yeah. tell us the ages. She's three. Mm-hmm. And then the oldest is 18. Oh, so boy. we have three, five, uh, seven. 9, 12, 17, 18, and if I forgot one, they're somewhere in there. <laughs> so you have a full range. They're a full yeah, range, and I, I love they're all J babies. Uh-huh, it's so all J names. All their names start with the letter J. So we have Jordan, Jay, Justin, Jason, Jalen, Jaden, Jayla, Joelle. Who did I forget? So. I think I got them all. So all you have to so. is to say is start Just to say J, and everybody will turn. And they know that they better answer. Do they generally get along? They really, they really do. do. 
they fight like normal children yeah. do, but they also support one another, and they're so excited. They fight over Jayla. She doesn't even know where her bed is because she sleeps in everyone else's yeah. bed every night. So. I was the youngest, and I always say my feet didn't touch the floor until yeah, I was no, about seven years old. Is, yeah. you know? She's the little queen in yeah. our family. Well, now you have at least one other driver, right? Maybe two, We right? have two, two drivers. Two drivers. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah. Two drivers and a, a little cook. Bit of, get a little Woo. bit of help. But we have a big, Tony calls it an industrialized milk mm-hmm. truck, but it, it's a big <laughs> van. It's a 12-passenger van. Wow. And so as long as they're in there somewhere, then we're good to go. And they usually fight to get in the back of the van, though, because I think they can get away with things in the back. When the dungeons <laughs> so. show up, that's a big group oh, showing yeah, up. Oh, yeah, they know we're coming. We can recognize <laughs> wow. our van wow. a mile away. That's a great, that's and that we amazing. do have a little chart that's uh, got a little tablet with the pen dangling down, and we write their chores down on it. And so sometimes they'll put checks on, even though they haven't made their bed. They'll mm-hmm. give themselves credit for a chore that they didn't do. But they're li- lined up in the hallway and they use that, and they have to make their bed in the morning before they go to school. Have and you gotten them all out of your bed? No. no. I wish I could <laughs> no. say that. No. We, we've tried. We, I, I don't want to lock the door. Every single one but... of them has spent <laughs> Isn't time. Isn't it wild? There. Like, it's, I don't I, remember being in my ever, parents' bed. Ever, no, I did, though. We, we did. We <laughs> okay. slept with my parents. So I, I cannot. And I, there's something about, you know, Tony says, well, get out. You know, go back to bed. <laughs> But then I'll move over and, and I'm yeah. sleeping on my side. So I yeah. just love having them there. Yeah. I, I know this is an extremely personal question. I don't mean to be offensive in any way, but that's a lot of money to educate all those kids. It is. It can be expensive. A lot of money. Well, but we think and we feel like the Lord has blessed us. You know, we yeah. have really made do. a lot of money mm-hmm. and we've had medical bills and things like that that we can absorb. And mm-hmm. we just know that that was God's plan. So, But education, it is scary now. I mean, even at the high school level. Right, it's yes. required. Are you in a community where your kids can go to the public school? We have yeah. some that attend public school, but they also have some uh, attending private schools mm-hmm. because our kids are all different. And, you know, we don't have the neighborhood concept where they all march out the door and walk to school. Uh, we have placed them in schools where we feel that they'll thrive and flourish well at. So it's all over the city of Tampa. We're going north, south, east, west every day. You could write a book about that alone. Yeah, I mean, seriously, that alone. It is a challenge. And the sort of uh, perspectives that you must have from that and across all different kinds of situations with Mm -hmm. each child, Mm -hmm. too. Any Um, of your kids' special needs? Our oldest child is. He's 18 years old. He's going to graduate next month, as a matter of fact. But um, he has had some health challenges from day one, and it has really dictated, you know, where he's going to go to school and the, the, the services and accommodations that he needs. You know, we've had to work together to, you know, get him to his doctor appointments, and he's had 85 surgeries. He's 18 wow. years of age. Wow. But his amazing spirits and just... Mm-hmm. A lovely child and so helpful. You know, I I get teary eyed when I think about the Tony was um, the Super Bowl and I'm not sure which one it was. And one of his younger brothers was doing the interviewing of the players. And Jordan and I were at the hospital and he was having yet another surgery. And we turned on the TV and he looked at him and I thought, you know, he's probably thinking I should be there and I should be involved. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm so proud of Justin. Look at him interviewing them. He said, Mom, aren't you proud? And I'm just teary. Oh, honey, times two, times ten. Oh, my goodness. 
But that's the kind of person he is, just very loving and nurturing and caring. Is he a yeah. good big brother? He really is. Yeah. So besides, I, this is almost a silly question because you have so many children that you're busy with your kids all the time. But besides being authors, how do you spend your time? I think we enjoy we enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. Um, we love being outside and staying active. Uh, we do a lot of things with our kids, and they, mm-hmm. they enjoy the outdoors as well. So that's probably that's ninety percent of our free time. We have an yeah. RV, so we like to go camping. Yeah. And we like to travel around, and the kids just think it's so fun and amazing to just travel and, and see parts of the world. And um, it's fantastic, it's a great way to spend the summer. Now, do yeah. any of them have any interests, uh, like you know, specific things to them, like musical interests mm-hmm. or a chef? You have? Well, Jordan, chef, you have Jordan is, is a cook. chef, and he's established that and. I don't know. The younger ones, they all aspire to play football in the NFL, mm-hmm. like all boys do <laughs> at that age. I'm not sure what's going to happen in that, but they are pretty talented, and they they enjoy sports. How many girls in the bunch? We have three girls. The rest wow. are boys. So the girls are definitely outnumbered. Outnumbered. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, the girls are definitely outnumbered. Do they help you? Do they pitch around the house and make beds and carry, you know? Oh, do they you... have to. They have yeah. no choice. And you have to have order. And we're a family. They all contribute. They all help out. And that's the only way that we can, you know, successfully run as a family. If uh, mom and dad have all the responsibilities and they do nothing, it's not a good good no, situation. No. And they, they understand that. We grew up that way and had great mm-hmm. instruction mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. our parents. And we feel like that's the one thing that we can do is, is mm. give our kids that same thing. Well, you guys must have the biggest hearts in the world because that's <laughs> yeah. a lot of work. That's a lot. That's <laughs> I, I only have two sons, and I'm like okay. sitting here going, I can't even imagine. Um, I'm from Indianapolis, so oh, I have to great. ask about your time in my home city. <laughs> um, obviously, you you brought home you know Super Bowl accolades and just an amazing game too. My God, I we had fun there. It yeah. was a great time. I personally enjoyed it. Jim Ursay, the owner called me and he said that we want to win, but we want to develop a connection with Mm -hmm. the fans. We want to have our team be accepted in the city. We want to be role models, all the things that resonated with me. And so I felt like we did that in the seven years I was there. We won a lot of games, but we had some great young men. We set a nice bar and we did have some great role models. Well, it was about leadership. I mean, it wasn't right. just about winning. It was about yeah. leadership. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, how did you, how did that kind of then reach out into the community? Because I felt you in that community whenever I would go You know, back. for me, it, it started when I went to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and my coach, Chuck Knoll, told us, hey, you want to play this game as well as you can play it, but it can't be your whole life. And you've got to be part of the, the city and part of the community, and you're going to have to live a life after football. And so when I became the head coach, I preached the same message. And fortunately, we had so many young men who bought into that and mm-hmm. said, I'm not just going to play, mm-hmm. but I am going to be part of the community. And that, that was special. Yeah, you really felt it when you went to Indianapolis. And Indianapolis improved a lot in those years, too, just because of the, the spirit of that team. So your kids have lived in a bunch of cities already. They have. They've had the benefit of living in warm weather and cold weather. They were in Minnesota for a while, and that was cold. That was challenging. How do you and referee arguing? We have some arguments, and we just try to get them to understand that the bottom line at the end of the day is to settle things and mm-hmm. make sure you're doing things the right way and to be loving. 
and you know eventually they come back around but yeah there's a lot of territorial fights yeah (laughs) yeah there always are Mm -hmm. but it sounds to me that the spirituality and the warmth inside your house is permeates this conversation so it must permeate your life we hope so i mean that's Definitely one of the lessons we want to give right. our kids, that uh, you you are blessed and you do have the Lord looking out for you, uh, but God has expectations of you. And, you know, we, yeah, we definitely want to get that across to them. And God has a plan for each and every one of us. And so it's up to us to be obedient and to listen and to fulfill that plan. You take those, eight, those children— and you times that times the number right. of children they'll have, and that they get to spread that forward. Just imagine the compounded mm-hmm. effect of that message, right? That's and what you it, they can do it if each person does their little bit and mm-hmm. they model that, and other people see it. It can happen. Yeah. Now we can't solve all the problems of the world, but we can do our part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, mm-hmm. you could, you drive. You guys were driving around L.A. today. Look how many people in L.A. are homeless. I, I know. I know. What is going on in the world? This is really bad. It's disturbing to see that. So what do we do about it? (laughs) I think, well, what you guys are doing goes a long way to answering that question because Mm -hmm. your kindness and your generosity Mm -hmm. and your spirit, if everybody was like you, just think how much better things would be. Honestly, I mean, I, I firmly believe that we pay it forward. And if we all behave in a way that's generous and kind and thoughtful and right. filled with spirituality mm-hmm. and not be angry, if you pass that on, then we're doing our job to pay it forward. And I think that people need to be kind to each other. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Well, this book is an incredible Fantastic. sort of testament to that that Thank loving you. sort of guidance that you have in your life. And uh, I would just encourage anybody who's considering adoption based on what you guys have said, to read it. And people who have adopted and want to create that that field of loving mm-hmm. with their child so mm-hmm. the child really knows deep, deep down mm-hmm. without any doubt, we chose you. Can we ask you to, for people who are listening that don't understand the adoption process, to talk a little bit about how this happens? You were, you were introduced into the process just by a matter of chance. Uh, yeah, and there are private adoptions. Mm-hmm. There are agencies you can go to. There are a, a lot of ways to go about it. But the first thing you have to do is is decide, okay, this is something I want to investigate. And then you can find an adoption agency right in, in your hometown. And just that's the first thing to do. Hey, I, I'm interested. Tell me what needs to happen and tell me what I need to do. Um, and there there are a lot of different ways that you can go about it, but it's not that difficult to find children. Are there any cautions that you would put forward around the process, like uh, unscrupulous actors in the, in the field of, you know, because for people who've really never considered it before, are there any watchouts that you'd give? You know, I, re- I think that parents need to understand adoption. It's a beautiful thing, and it's what you can give instead of in, ter- in terms of uh, the adoption rather than what you can get out of adoption. A lot of people go into adoption, I get a baby or I get to do this. But if you think in terms of I get to pour into the life of a child, I get to raise a child up and give him or her, the security and love. That's a better approach, and you'll be much happier if you take that that attitude when you're adopting. And in terms of um, watchouts, mm-hmm. there are probably, it's a small percentage of birth moms that will 
say that they're willing to place their child and they want their child to have a better life, but then they change their mind at the last minute and the parent is parents are, are heartbroken because they've already begun that bonding process and now they don't have the baby and, and that can happen. You know, yeah, I love I love that perspective it. though. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. the sort of energy you need to be in is about what you can give. Right. Yeah. It's, you also have fostered some children. We have. Am, mm-hmm. am I correct in when you have foster children that they tend to be a little bit older than no, they're not, not newborns, right? They can be newborn, but they're children that have been removed from the home because the parents aren't doing their job. And the parents are you know, red flags are up that this is not a good home. It's not a stable environment. And so the social workers have been called in and they need to place the babies in a safe home. And we were short term foster parents, which meant we got the calls in the middle of the night. Mom, dad are not doing their part and baby needs to be removed. Or it could be something like they recognize that mom and dad have to go through some parenting classes. So they're not available to parent their child for the next. 30, 60, 90 days. We have a foster child right now, and he's been with us for five months, and we are planning to adopt him. He's six years old. There's your, there's your I'm not done yet. Can, uh, be any <laughs> age. Yeah. It just right. you know, depends on what's happening at, at mm-hmm. their particular home. But I think the goal is reunification, which can be a good thing. The child is reunited with his family member, but If it doesn't work and mom and dad aren't mature and ready to handle the responsibilities of parenting, then the child is placed for adoption. Do all of the children that you've adopted, did you get them when they were babies? They were all newborns. So foster children are not always newborns. No. They tend to be a little bit older, I'm guessing. Usually. But they can be quite young. They can be young. Yeah. Yes. And then you, because you are who you are, in the brief moment, I already know that you have the biggest heart of anybody I know, <laughs> both of you. You probably get attached to these foster kids. Oh, my goodness. And, that and then is when they the come and take them back to they, their parents, and you like, usually oh. get very you little notice. You have to understand notice. that that's the case, though, that we that do. is what's going to happen. But it is hard. Yeah. I bet prayer helps that. It, it does. does. And it's also the understanding that we're here for a short period of time to help this child until the situation corrects itself. And if you understand that when the child walks out the door and goes to court, he may or may not return at the end of the day. And we've had it happen both ways. Mm-hmm. We had a little boy, we, his name was Gypsy, and we just got attached and he was just a beautiful child, very smart. And he would go to court and he'd come back and go to court. And, come. and I said, one day he's going to go and he's not going to come back. And he left and it was about 10 o'clock at night, and I said, he's gone, and we got ready for bed, and the doorbell rang, and I said, is that the doorbell? And we ran downstairs, and we saw this little nose pressed up against the window, and he said, well, what took you guys so long to answer the door, and why are all the lights turned out? You didn't think I was coming back, did you? And he stayed with us for a number of years, just a sweet little boy. Oh, no. oh I'm so in awe of the both of you. This is an Thank overwhelming you. story. Thank you. Really. I just can't believe how generous you are, your spirit and your <laughs> selves and everything you're doing. I don't know. I don't know how I would do that. I really don't. I never thought about it before, but I really feel like you've changed. You've exponentially changed the lives potentially of hundreds of people because your kids will get married. Mm-hmm. They'll have kids. They'll have kids. They'll have kids. They'll have goods. And everything that you've shown them and taught them will be paid forward. Well, Jordan, Lauren was telling you our oldest one who wants to be a chef. You know, he came to us at one day old. He had some congenital problems, some health problems. And we just knew 
in a very short time, God had sent him mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was still in the NFL at the time. We had the best doctors available to us. We had great insurance. And I'm thinking if he was with a single mm-hmm. mom with all of these medical issues, how would he even survive? Right. And it was just God putting him in the right place. And wow. uh, now he's 18 mm-hmm. and he's, yeah. you know, yeah. thriving. And it was just perfect. And lovely. Yes. He yeah. is. That's unbelievable. What's next for you guys? <laughs> well, we have a new book coming out. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. We have a new book coming out. And to our listeners, please let me tell you that I read this last night. And it's a wonderful book. We chose you. Thank you. It's a fantastic story. Really, it's been amazing talking to the both of you. I don't want to let you go if there's anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't touch on. Did we not touch on anything? I think we've covered everything. What about you guys? We had a lot, but I I think what you said was really, really, we need to sit there and meditate on that for a while. Are we, as a society, are we loving people the way Mm -hmm. we should? Are Mm -hmm. we just looking at things selfishly? Are we, what are we doing to make our community a better place to live. And we, we've got to think about that. I think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in my non-banky, non-mom <laughs> life, I founded a charity with the, you probably know, the band The Who. And mm-hmm. uh, so Pete and Roger are close friends of mine. And mm-hmm. I formed, I f- started a charity eight years ago called Teen Cancer America. And we now have 80 partner hospitals. Oh, wow. And what we do in the work that I'm doing, which is also touches the lives of, uh, of so many people is when a kid between the ages of basically 12 and 22 get a cancer diagnosis we have a partner hospital mm-hmm. we have partner hospitals at Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, Yale Stanford Duke um, Moffitt um, um, UCLA USC Stanford we have hospital partners all over the country and what we do is when the when they get a cancer diagnosis we scoop them up and we get an advocate for them to help them understand what's going to happen when they have a cancer diagnosis and the subsequent treatment of that. And so um, we harvest eggs, we harvest sperm, mm. we tell them what it's going to be like when their hair falls out, we mm-hmm. match them with doctors, we help them navigate the insurance companies, and we give them support in the hospital and amongst their right. peers. And so we touch the lives now. Yeah. Uh, we counted, We figured out the other day that we're about 28,000 kids and counting that we've touched the lives of and helped them to have a better, I don't want to say experience because there's nothing good about getting a cancer diagnosis. But we have done this. We've touched the lives of these people. And um, my friends, Roger and Pete, started this 25 years ago. So they've touched the lives Mm -hmm. of hundreds Mm -hmm. of thousands of kids over their 25 years. And so that's the work that called me and that I started to do. But also for many, many years, I've worked for a homeless organization in Los Angeles called Wayfarer. And And this is why I touched on the homeless situation, because this is horrible. This is so horrible that it's unimaginable how many people live in Los Angeles, a community of means, with thousands of people living on the streets. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. So I, every time I start talking about this, I get myself all worked up because it's horrible. Imagine living on the streets and having no place to take a shower or to read a book or to be safe. And this situation in Los Angeles is growing exponentially right. because so many homeless people are coming to Los Angeles because mm-hmm. the weather's mm-hmm. better here. And I imagine that you're choosing to be homeless in L.A. because it's warmer. I mean, why can't we find a way to help these people? Well, there's also just housing prices are completely it, out of control. So people who previously could fend for themselves right. can't now. Can't. And it's 30 years behind schedule in terms yeah. of creating 
in, in L.A. at least. Terrible. The affordable housing affordable that's housing. needed. So I see these people living on the streets. It right. makes me, I'm, I cry all the time. I know. So we do this big event downtown Los Angeles, and we get people to donate blankets, socks, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. tents, coolers, you know, anything that we can think of to have, to, to make this already horrible experience just a little bit, I hate to say the word better, but more tolerable, right? Because I, I can't help all these people and bring them off the streets, but I can give them a clean blanket or a clean pair of socks, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, it makes me so sad when mm-hmm. I drive along San Vicente, and which was never a homeless tent community, right center in the center of Los Angeles. I know. And there must be, it's I don't know, 100 believe, people yeah. living along that fence there. I think that you raise a good point, and I think we all have to do something. And yeah. we've all been blessed with gifts, talents, resources. Let's use them. And once once we do that and we contribute and pour and do more than just roll down the window and drop a dollar into someone's hand, but do a little bit more than that. That's the start. And there are so many opportunities to get involved yeah, yeah. in your local community. There are. There are. And what you just said is profoundly true as it relates to the work that you're doing as well. You mm-hmm. guys had your arms mm-hmm. out and open mm-hmm. and willing to embrace and love children without question. There wasn't any preset condition where you have to behave like this or right. do that. You brought them right. in and wrapped your arms around them and loved them and made them brothers and sisters and yeah. children right. of yours and right. you're their parents. Such a beautiful and example, it's gonna be you guys. Literally, imagine if you could look back, if you were long, if you could live 100 years or come back in 100 years and see how many people mm-hmm. came from the gift <laughs> that you gave. And that goes back to what you said, that this was God's plan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, you guys, for coming and talking to us and telling us about the book. And thank you for allowing us to tell our story. Yeah. Oh, it was just really great. Joy. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Next time you'll meet Matt Polson, the co-founder and CEO of Omaze, the online fundraising platform that offers people the chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime experience while supporting nonprofits around the world. Matt has partnered with top brands, influencers, and celebrities, including Michael Jordan, Bono, and Jennifer Lawrence. He's even had a campaign where someone could win a double date with George and Amal Clooney. Matt's company has raised more than $100 million for charities by making it fun and easy for people to give back. Omesa's fundraising and awareness campaigns bring together nonprofits, influencers, and donors around the world to create real, lasting impact. How did he ever figure out how to create this outstanding concept? We'll all find out when we rewind to the beginning with Matt Polson on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 